folks, welcome to episode two of Business After Hours. Today's guest is a force to be reckoned with. Shaz Shadden has a very interesting background in business, a self-made entrepreneur, been involved in multiple ventures, uh, from selling iPhone cables when they're at their height to now be involved in one of the most innovative brands in Grimsby, Northeast Lincolnshire area. He is one of the directors of Doc's Beers, uh, one of the first breweries to open up in 50 years in this area, and they are absolutely killing it. Uh, from their branding to their marketing to their business strategy to uh, how they've taken what was a, a struggling small brewery and really turned it around into a brand that the big names want to, to get stocked in their premises. Um, we covered a lot in this podcast. Um, I think we could have gone on a lot longer. Um, but yeah, really, really enjoyed it. Lots of good content. Sit back, relax and enjoy. Hey, Shaz. Thanks for being on the podcast. Thanks for having me. For people who don't know who you are and your background, yep. you want to just give us a little bit of an intro how you started out in business? Yeah, absolutely. So um, currently I'm one of the directors at Doc's Beers, Grimsby's uh, go-to brewery, only brewery at the minute since Hewitt's shut 50 years ago. Um, prior to this, I have absolutely no experience in brewing beer whatsoever. All I used to know, uh, we often joke three years ago about beer was that I enjoyed drinking it. Um, so I did AS levels at Franklin College, grew up locally. Um, my dad had a mobility company, which I joined when I was 18 years old. Um, and we grew that over several years and sold it after about 10 years in business. Um, during that time, dabbled with all sorts of different things, um, including marketing and branding. So we, we, developed our own e-commerce website and grew it quite successfully. Off the back of that, we was getting approached by other people to help do the same. Um, always managing small teams of people, so uh, that we could always apply that to, to different situations we found ourselves in. Um, and basically, yeah, so had, had a couple of sort of side projects on, on the way that have taught me a lot more than anything. Um, and then after we sold the business, I was kind of in no man's land trying to figure out what the next project was going to be. So rather than just resting on my laurels, um, bought a property, developed it, sold it, did that a couple more times, um, and but was, was just really lacking. Just wanted to get back into a business, really. I missed the buzz of um, growing something, making something, and wanted to, to find the next project. I'd learned a lot from previous businesses that I wanted to apply. So rather than having an industry specific that I wanted to get into, I kind of had a checklist of things I was looking for. One of the things we used to struggle with was selling other people's brands. So um, I think one of the things I really wanted was our own brand, our own product that we had full say over. Um, and that was, well, one of the things that attracted me to the beer industry was manufacturing your own product and being able to put your own name to it and and grow that brand identity. So, uh, so yeah. So, so the, the brand that you got involved with on the beer side was was already established before you got involved. Though, right? So Axone was, Docs wasn't. So um, Axone was set up in 2012 by Mike and Jules Richards. Um, Mike's our head brewer still to this day. Uh, Mike's a very experienced brewer. He used to brew Abbeydale, which is a well-known brewery near Sheffield. Very well, like represented brewery. It's it's. Um, and that's that again that gave us that appeal neither me nor will that's our other director um knew mike 
we got introduced to him through Charles, who's Will's cousin, who runs Message in a Bottle in Cleethorpes, local craft beer shop, introduced craft beer to the area. Um, and basically, we knew Mike was producing some fantastic beers. Um, we had enjoyed them plenty of times locally. Um, <laughs> and basically, he was struggling to, well, to make it more viable. I think it was more of a, an economies of scale type of setup. So the brewing kit he had was quite small. Um, so it allowed one person to more or less make a living, but it, brewing requires quite a lot of capital in terms of equipment and kegs and bottling contracts and things like this. So, um, to make enough beer, to make it viable, to grow the business, he would have needed a completely new setup. Um, so he was at crossroads, whether he was going to continue the business or not. Um, me and Will got involved with some time and some money and helped to basically, overcome them hurdles that he was struck i mean him and jules were doing everything they were working 70 hour weeks like a lot of us often do um but it just wasn't getting them to the next level uh where they needed to be so with a with a bit of extra labor and a bit of extra investment we managed to get the ball rolling so um we still run axo and we've still got that site and it's it's a big passion of ours cascale but the industry um isn't growing it's very stationary um, I mean, there's always mixed opinions on that. As always, there's, there's surveys done by multiple different groups. Some say it's getting larger, some say it's getting smaller. But the one that can't be ignored is, is craft beer. So the main difference for us between the two industries, cask beer is generally delivered on hand pull. Once you tap a cask, you introduce oxygen into the cask. So it's only got about five day shelf life. And it's generally delivered at about 12 degrees or what they call room temperature. Uh, which is pretty cold for a room. So, but um, it's it's more of an acquired taste. Um, I think it's fair to say that when you go around the world, a lot of people have never even come across cask ale and real ale. Um, whereas craft beer, on the other hand, is the same brewing process, but it's carbonated and chilled. So it's getting delivered more similarly to a lager. So you're getting that refreshing, crisp uh, coldness, but then you get in the, the more interesting, more intense flavor profiles that you find with real ale. So it kind of overlaps the two between a lager and a real ale drinker. Um, and that's what Brewdog have completely led the way for in the UK. So um, those guys were regularly out to America where it's been huge. Um, and nobody was really doing it in a big way here. And they kicked it all off a few years ago. Um, it's probably one of the, the books we should have mentioned. Uh, Punk yeah, what, Way of Life. That's it, yeah. yeah. I have got it. I haven't have read got it, it I've got it. Yeah, I ordered it. On your recommendation. Yeah, it's good. It's good. Um, so yeah, James, James Watt, one of the founders, um, and yeah, they've, they've led the industry for, for quite some time and inspired a lot of other breweries to, to go that way. And it seems to be having a renaissance. Um, I think it's fair to say that a lot of younger drinkers weren't probably leading towards cask beer, but craft beer, definitely. I mean, our tap room, um, on King Edward street is a sort of, it's a hub of a mix of people. So um, how long has that been open now? October we opened. Yeah. So for just into our fifth month now. So yeah, it's, it's taken us by storm. Always so. busy when I go past. It's always busy. Yeah. We open through Wednesday through Sunday. Um, obviously a lot of people are quite skeptical about the location being in um, an old industrial area, part of town. We could have made life easier for ourselves and opened up in Cleethorpes and headed for one of the high streets. Um, there's a precedence for breweries setting up in quirky industrial spaces anyway. Um, and we're, we're big, big Grimsby, 
like Grimsby fans, Grimbarians through and through that really do believe that this area is sort of on its uppers. There's so why didn't you set up on a high street? Um, it was a combination of things, really. Um, first and foremost, we're a brewery. So we needed um, a space that could work as a brewery. It was never intended, and it still isn't the case, that the bar was going to take the lead on anything like that. So um, our our goal is to grow the brewery, and still is. Um, so for that, we needed a working industrial space or plenty of square feet and an outside access. Um, so the logical choice would have either been a purpose-built industrial unit, uh, which we looked around plenty. Then we started looking into different parts of the town about where we could base ourselves. And all this sort of was pulling together from all of our previous experiences, as I mentioned before, about the type of brand we wanted to create. So um, we wanted it to have some sort of authenticity. Um, obviously, we've gone for, we went for Doc's Beers as our brand name, mainly because we wanted something that would summarize sort of like connotations of the work ethic of the type of people you'd find down the docks and that sort of like hard ready to go hard graft laborious intense sort of person um and we wanted to to be authentic in our delivery of that and when we looked around this building and we got a bit of backstory about it so it's an old church i think there's been three churches on that site originally it was called the tin church because it was made of tin and the whole area was slum housing and, and sort of like poverty-stricken housing for the area. Um, lots of dock workers' wives living down there while they were away at sea and that type of thing. No inside toilets, generally no running water. Um, and this place uh, burnt down a few years ago and then was rebuilt as a, as, a, as a brick church, something like probably 150 years ago, something like that. Um, absolutely magnificent building, huge vaulted ceiling, big arched windows doesn't look it from the front uh, it had a facelift about 50 years ago uh, to modernize it and keep it in keeping with the other buildings but i think that's kind of the charm because from the outside it just looks like a bit of an, a bit of a normal front on it yeah you i remember you showed me the inside and it, it yeah. is surprising it's a little gem when you walk in um, from the outside it, yeah it doesn't look like a church yeah and when we got speaking to locals about it um we had a, a guy who must have been 95 96 year old and we we were just still looking around it and he stopped us and saw the doors open and wanted to come in because he got christened there. So we're talking like 95 years ago. And um, he was t saying about how he'd lived down that street and there used to be 13 pubs down that street. and The Maltins were at the back. A lot of history we didn't know about the area. Um, and we just felt like the whole thing just added value, basically. Um, so we started doing costs for them for it, which didn't add up, but we thought there was something you couldn't really put a price on. So again, it would have been cheaper for us to go into a place with existing drainage, commercial gas, commercial electricity. That so type hold, of so hold on, you you did, you said you did the cost, but it didn't add up. In terms yeah, of well, it was counterintuitive. So it would have been a lot cheaper for us to go to to a pre-made unit, and we would have saved months on our launch date, um, and we would have probably saved quite a bit of money. <laughs> but um, there was something about that building that we just all felt really chime true with the brand we'd been discussing so i mean the brand wasn't built in a day it was months of conversations late night whatsapps groups and and screenshotting photos to each other of other brands and just little snippets of how how different people are doing things that kind of piece together to, to the type of thing we wanted to create and when we walked in there it, it was like everything we'd talked about for months was just in these four walls um, and then when you leave that place and then go look around uh, 
any other unit, no matter how sensible it seems, you just you're just missing something there that's not quite right. Um, so anyway, yeah, we was we was fortunate enough um, to get it, and then the the real hard work started. So we had about six months after we'd cleared planning. We had about six months of renovation work. So the uh, the floor was structurally not sound enough to hold the tanks because of the weight of beer that we was going to be holding on site. So we dug just over 100 tons out of the floor. Um, big concrete slab, all steel reinforced in the bottom. Like I said, I had to navigate planning and utilities companies for new electric and gas supplies and everything else. Meanwhile, we was having the, the bespoke brewing kit manufactured. Um, so yeah, so it took us some time. To, to get it all right but and the challenges we had as well because it's the ground floor after it become a church they put mezzanine floor level in which has doubled our floor space for us which is great uh the problem is we inherited what we didn't realize were quite low ceilings i mean they're probably higher than most places but compared to an industrial unit you're only talking about three meters and most industrial units i guess starts at four and a half meters like this place uh this must be four or five meters tall um, so it wasn't until we'd sort of reconcreted floors and, and started looking at things we was going actually we're getting a bit close for space here especially as the uh, CAD drawings for the tanks were starting to come back and they were all more or less the same or bigger than the floor to ceiling height so we had to start playing around with that and so how close was it oh it was close um, I mean when we we had to downsize the tanks twice not in volume we managed to keep them the same but make them shorter and wider um, and when they came on the day, we had to strip the feet, the vests, the valves, everything off them. So they were absolutely bare bodies. Um, and even then, we probably had about six inches clearance um, where they stood. And we had to get them under beams to get them in. So at times, it was 10, 15 mil we had to, to slide them in. But it worked. <coughs> so a lot of stress, a lot of worry. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, a lot of pressure. Um lot of unpaid months of hard work where we're just sort of like plowing into the vision and, and trying to build it but we were all on the same page where if you build good foundations then you can build up from them so um, it was all about not cutting corners and doing things the way they should be done and not letting sort of like I don't know having a having a focus on where we wanted to be and then just not deviating from that so um, I mean obviously the best laid plans need to to be adaptable and and change and we did that but we we never wanted to really cut on any sort of quality where we could so the kit is the best kit we could get um the finish in the brewery the resin floors the cladding on the walls absolutely everything so um we'd probably have gone for a couple more tanks with an unlimited budget so we decided that's a place that we could easily bolt on later on without sacrificing quality of beer and quality of brand and quality of product um so so yeah yeah, I definitely get that feel from a lot of the stuff that you guys put out, whether it's the beer or the branding or the marketing or the, the image, the building. The quality is always there. You don't seem to script. Like there's little details like um, you drive past the building and there's not white UPVC, cheap windows that you've got like on brand, colored. Are they metal? Are they plastic? Uh, downstairs is aluminium. Um, yeah, so like decent quality uh, size. UPVC, but they're all in black. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that level of detail, where does that come from? Is that you? Is that Will? Is that a um, business partner? I mean, I've got quite a background in property anyway. Um, like I say, I, I took some time out to, to develop a couple of places. Um, and we'll come back to that in a second because yeah. I want to talk about that. Okay. 
Um, so yeah, I, I guess it's it's a bit like what we were talking about before we came on uh, on air or, or, or on, a, on podcast on the podcast. So um, I always think there's there's the best way of doing something, there's the cheap way of doing something, and then obviously neither one of them are usually the right way to go. Um, but there's always that finding that middle ground where you're getting the maximum value for money. I think value is probably the word actually, um, finding value for money. So I always believe that you, you deliver a quality product. Um, and if it represents value, it, it's great. There's no point buying a set of tables for a tap room that are a thousand pound each. If they don't do anything that a cheap table would do, nobody's getting any extra quality off it. Or, but if you put in a cheap sub quality product in there that's going to start causing you problems and i know what you did um, for your tables because you you told me where you got that deal from yeah. so just, <laughs> a lot of ebaying yeah. <laughs> or some ebaying <laughs> so you wouldn't think it but they are actually are they x costa yes yeah, so some of the taproom tables are x costa coffee we'll found those on uh on ebay and i think we drove to sheffield or doncaster to pick them up and that, um, i guess that was a bargain yeah absolutely so um an, a total bargain um and we'll manage to find some other really quirky bits as well we've got some industrial sewing machine bases that he just found i don't know if you've seen them this they're sat in the brewing area at the minute so when we're busy for extra capacity we open up the brewing area um, we chain off all the tanks and, and just use it as overspill um so we found these huge lumps of cast iron metal and we took them and again they were a bit of a bargain when we bought them but by the time i'd spent three days jet washing them and trying to get all the oil off them and then we took them to get them powder coated and the guy said every time he heats them up more oil just oozes out of somewhere so he had to clean them for a day um and then eventually we got them powder coated and glass tops on them they look amazing they they look like they're out of a hard rock cafe or something they're just they're awesome um but cost us literally a couple hundred quid by the time we were done um type of thing that you'd find in some funky shoreditch uh, furniture shop probably for a couple of grand um, but again, it, it all ties into our branding and what we feel. And that's that quality in workmanship in like, I don't know. It, it's, we live in a throwaway society now where you buy, I don't know if it's down to a cheap t-shirt to a cheap jacket that you will maybe wear for one season and it goes in the bin or to the charity shop. Whereas, um, we're very heavily influenced by things like American workwear brands like Carhartt and Dickies and some of the sort of like mountaineering brands that, patagonia and people like that that have patagonia have policies where you can send clothing back to them after 25 years and they'll repair it rather than replace it and i love stuff like that it doesn't apply directly to beer but it's the ethos it's it's kind of the attitude towards uh build it right in the first place and you can you can just keep repairing it for years to come rather than another bit of plastic that's just going to go to landfill or to the oceans or anything like that so do you do anything with the cans obviously that's the waste product from a for most of the stuff you sell, the bottles from... One Axon. of the main reasons to shift into can for the whole industry, I can't lay claim that it was it was our move, um, is because it's highly recyclable product. Um, so I think I think that's a good step. Um, glass, obviously, is also very much a recyclable, um, but um, it's a heavy, large-volume product that, I mean, you should see a, a glass bottle bin out of any bar at the end of the day. They're huge, whereas cans you can just crush them down, and and they're uh, the yeah. They're, I think moving forward, they're a lot more environmentally friendly. 
Yeah, something we've all got to be conscious of. Yeah, I, definitely. We don't have a lot of waste here, but yeah, I can it imagine, still yeah. bugs me when we waste paper or, uh, yeah. or, you know, cans, bottles. We have plastic bottles every now and then. Um, but yeah, anything you can do, especially when you're almost every product that you're selling, <laughs> you you have a, a, a waste, waste product. product. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So it's good that you, you're thinking about it. But listen, this it's, isn't a recycling show. So <laughs> let's get back to business. So I, one of the things you touched on when you were um, just introducing your history was the other businesses you were involved in. Okay, yeah. So Axome was kind of already started, but you guys got involved and yep. then you created Docs. Yeah. Was there any, how, how involved were you in the previous businesses? How how much of you previous had a, a hand in starting up, getting so, going or transforming um, a brand? Well, I'll give you a little bit of um, background on the mobility company, which is where I did... Uh, most most of my learning and uh so how old were you when you started there about 18 yeah so literally just weekend job uh picking up a few shifts um in between college basically um did a year at college studying uh sociology government and politics business studies and photography knew i wanted to i'd come from a family my dad's always been in business himself um actually trained as a civil engineer and should have really gone on to <laughs> to bigger and better things, but hit a previous recession just as he came out of university, and there was there was no work going. So started his own business, uh, restaurant basically, and grew that. Learned a lot the hard way, um, and I grew up in that environment. So Sundays weren't always. I mean, I had a great childhood, but Sundays weren't always spent down the beach they were often spent setting up one of the restaurants because a member of staff had called in ill or something along those lines or having a trip to db's or to a wholesaler of some description so i was always around it um half term holidays spent going up to see the accountant in horncastle to to make sure his books were in on time and all that type of stuff so uh, a lot of business chat always in the house um and always we'd go away places we go to London for the weekend and my mum would be looking in shop windows and me and dad would be looking at empty units saying, I wonder how much the rent is on there. And one of us would be trying to Google the price of the rent just out of pure, pure curiosity and thinking, I wonder how that card shop stays open. I mean, they're only selling 99p items, but we're in uh, Oxford Street and the rent here must be 80 grand a year and always trying to just figure out the moving parts behind the scenes. Um so I think I think that heavily influenced me, obviously. And then coming out of college, I realized, again, it's it's everyone's personal opinion. Um, I realized a degree wasn't for me. I've my sort of like summary of it was if I wanted to do something that required a degree, become some sort of engineer, a doctor, a lawyer, then degree paths the way forward. Um, none of those careers appealed to me. I wasn't sure what appealed to me. I was kind of in no man's land. Um, and the more people I spoke to that were successful and that, that I looked up to, when you tracked back and kind of went, when did you decide to get into that industry? Most of them fell into them by accident. Um, it might have just been coincidence, the people I was speaking to at the time, but so many people, my dad being one of them that had a degree in an engineering trade and then ended up owning his own businesses. Um, so anyway, so I digress. So um, he'd set up this mobility company a few years prior to to this, um, just on Wilton Road in Humberston. And he was basically selling anything from wheelchairs, mobility scooters, um, to stair lifts, stair lift installations, that kind of thing. 
and it was a it was a totally different ball ball game for him. He'd gone from like being a restaurateur selling anything from a cup of cup of coffee for a couple of quid, bottle of wine for maybe ten twelve quid back in the day, um, to selling high ticket items at a couple of thousand pounds often for an installation. So the it was a totally different model of business. It was low volume, high margin, uh, high markup, high high retail price really. Um, and it was before the internet really got hold of stuff as well. So um, it it was a to- it was really where I got introduced to sales effectively. Um, and then that led to marketing, branding, day to day operations of a business. And bit by bit, he would step out and do other things. They would start taking holidays, so I'd be left to to run the fort. Not deliberately. We had other staff. Um, but I guess being an only child, I've always been a little bit maybe bossy and I'd take control and I'd be like, no, you're doing, we need to do it this way. We need to do it this way. Uh, but it, it used to always work. Um, and then where do we go from there? So a couple of my friends were just coming out of uni. One of the guys, a web developer, um, another guy was a graphic designer. Both of them wanted to, as you do when you're young, to be the next entrepreneur, the next Zuckerberg. Um, and we was like, we might, maybe we should do something design on web based. Um, I was really busy at the at the time, so kept getting distracted away. But uh, eventually, we talked ourselves into doing it, and we set up. It was just as the recession was really taking in, taking a hold. And we set up a little branding agency, um, and it was short lived. Um, that was a really hard but good lesson. So me and one of the former directors are still very very good friends i don't see much of the other one anymore but we had a lot of very differences of opinions we was probably all too young as well to so uh, how old were you all be 21 22 so a lot of strong opinions um and probably we're better at all of all three of us were probably a lot better at talking than we were at listening mainly to each other um so we pulled each other in different directions for quite some time it's frustrating because we had some very good clients as well um and we made sure everything got delivered like it was supposed to. Uh, but once we'd wrapped up any loose ends, we decided to part ways. Um, but it's quite interesting because I think what I learned from that is you could go into somebody else's business and it's it's very easy to see the faults from the outside looking in. And people who live and breathe this their own business can often, I don't know, they, it's almost like they don't see the wood for the trees sometimes. It's very easy to comment on other people's businesses as well, as you'll know. Yeah, being a being a business owner, that everyone seems to have an opinion on how you should do things. Everyone knows better than you. Yeah, yeah. of course they do. Um, it, I mean, sometimes you, they're right. Exactly. This is. I the think thing. sometimes someone can look at it; they can see the trees. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you can get ver- you can get drawn into being a critic very yeah. easily. Yeah. Um. So off the back of that, me and me and one of the former directors, the web uh, developer Ryan. Uh, we decided, well, we've we've got a ready-made business here, the mobility company I was working in. Web's going crazy at the minute. Nobody seems to be owning a presence for, for mobility online, so let's let's have a stab at that. Um, so between my day-to-day job, we, we sort of developed this website, Mobility Experts. Um, and yeah, we, we had our first pop at e-commerce, um, which was exciting it was a challenging industry 
Um, yeah, I can imagine selling mobility scooters being pretty, uh, pretty yeah. difficult online. What was the uh, the returns like? Poor. So this is this is one of the places where um, I quickly realised that when you sell somebody else's product, um, you're competing with a lot of other people that are selling the exact same product as you. Um, also, logistically, it was a nightmare. So we're going back to when a lot of sort of online TNTs, they'd only just, and all the sort of like shipping companies had only just started setting up the like web portals. Um, and we were selling anything from a walking stick up to a huge four wheel scooter um, or rise and recline chair. And these items would often come stacked on pallets not so much the scooters, but some of the mid-size items would come stacked on pallets. So we'd have to repack, ship out. Um, and then obviously we're doing this on all quite a low margin, as I previously mentioned. And then we would get a return. You're also appealing to a generation that at the time hadn't yet embraced the internet. Um, and also it's not a very sexy thing to sell. That was one of the, the hardest things with the mobility companies. Um, nobody wants to get older. Nobody wants to acknowledge that things are becoming more difficult so it's always nearly always a negative purchase so although you're trying to make it as painless as possible and then sometimes trying to sort of like show the the upside to it um most people aren't very happy about having to go in a wheelchair um or or get a scooter i mean some people love the independence of it because it, it can it can open those doors but those customers are probably one in 20 um so to get that kind of curb appeal, it made things like social media also very difficult. Um, that being said, we managed to keep the business going. Uh, we grew the turnover quite big. Um, and then Ryan got offered a really good job in London and was going to have to step away from the business. And we farmed out a um, rebuild of the whole site to a third-party consultant. And our sales vanished overnight. And then it was just a case of going, ah, what do we do now? Um, so they vanished overnight because the site they we, built wasn't good? Or? We, yeah, we struggled to get any answers, really. They pretty much ripped out all our SEO and everything um, that we'd organically built over a lot of time. And overnight, we went from coming in at 9 a.m. to receive 20, 25, 30 orders. Not, not huge items, but some of them were over £100 an item. Um, to literally five orders a week, maybe um <laughs> oh dear yeah <laughs> that's that's so, really bad that's yeah not good. and with with ryan increasingly off the scene it just yeah it got really confusing and we we just kind of went is this going to be the one probably not um so, so the the sorry the e-commerce site was that yours and ryan's or was yeah. your dad also involved no, it was in just that? me and ryan that okay so um we we basically looked at it for a while we'd managed to take a little bit of money out of it and we kind of went look we've got a little bit left do we plow this back in and try and get it back to where it was? But it wasn't making a great deal anyway. Um, or you're on your new journey down in London. I've got other things turning my head. So should we just take what we learned from it and move on? So yeah, so it was, I guess you mark it down as a failure. I mean, we never we never went out of business. We decided to close the doors. Um, but yeah, we, we just called it a day. But a lot of lessons learned from it. A lot of really good lessons now, actually. It doesn't seem it at the time. I think that's a, a little uh, little snippet that I always take away with me that I always try and think back 
when things are going horribly wrong. You always try and think back to the times, other times when things have gone horribly wrong and gone, did we survive? Yep, we survived right. Well, we'll probably survive this as well then. And did we come out of it stronger than we went in? Yeah, definitely. We know a lot lot more than we did. So, uh, so yeah, so again, that, that opened up, um, that taught me a lot. So off the back of that, my next project was um, some basically phone accessories, a website, an e-commerce website. And I wanted to simplify it. So um, templates like uh, Shopify had just come out. So familiarized myself with one of those, decided that I wasn't going to have a, a web developer ruining me again. But this was, <laughs> this was back in the day. Pesky web developers. <laughs> so um, you should have used a reputable firm like Laser Red. Thanks, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Plug. Um, so, yeah, so wanted something I could manage myself that was going to be nice and simple and the, the template looked good. And then I, I just, I couldn't think what product to sell. We sat there for so long and people would say, do what, do what make whatever you're interested in. And my hobbies at the time were kite surfing, um, going rock climbing a little bit, clothes, very busy marketplace at the time when I was younger. Um, lot less interesting than my parents nowadays <laughs> um and then um basically um yeah i guess technology and and bits like that so we narrowed it oh, well i narrowed it down a little bit further and i think we was talking about this earlier about perfecting something and and the timeline that a project can take and if you let it it'll just go on forever so i kind of just set myself some goals just literally cheap two quid diary off uh, Top Town Market, opened it and just looked, marked the date that we was on now and went, in two weeks, I'm going to have picked the product I'm launching a website with. And at that point, I had no product, nothing whatsoever. I was like, two weeks, I'm going to have decided what I'm going to do. Flip the page forward. I was like, a month after that, I'm going to have the products in stock, ready to be sold. Um, and it was as simple as that. So... And I, I was holding myself accountable to these timelines. So I, and I kind of decided that no action was the worst form of action. So as long as I picked something, I was going to move forward with it. Um, I wanted something that was minimal investment. So under a thousand pounds. I didn't want to spend anything that um, I wasn't earning a lot of money at the time. I didn't, I didn't have huge reserves or anything else like that. And I wanted to kind of go, right. I keep hearing these sort of like at the time all the the entrepreneurs of the day were like Richard Branson and people like that and all these amazing stories are floating around and you think yeah I want to start with absolutely nothing and and make something out of nothing so um so yeah I guess that's what inspired me um and then like I say I, I just made a short list it was it was crazy the list that I had made up it so was, what was on the short list oh god you're asking me now this is well, what did you pick seven what eight years ago so it was it was iPhone accessories or phone accessories um mainly um charging cables um and basically yeah so so on this list was some totally random things um i'm trying to i'm trying to think back specifically to what but i'm struggling um but it could have been anything like oh did my missus got me a couple of years ago like a really nice stainless steel flask with some cool outdoorsy branding on um and it was like do custom flasks or custom coffee cups or uh, to put your own brand because I'd already I'd already from the mobility experience I'd realized that as soon as I was selling somebody else's brand I was always going to be competing with other people on price 
because you're selling the same product. So the only way to compare it is its price if you're selling a physical product. For you guys, you're selling a service. So it's a it's a really hard thing to compare to, to anybody else because no two firms are going to offer the same service and the same the same finished product. Um, but if you're buying this cup, well, that's that's measurable. It's it's uh, it's an IKEA cup, so you can only buy it from IKEA. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I'm saying. Um, your Converse, you can you can buy them. You can shop around from them all day online, and the only thing you're competing on is price. So I want to take that out of the equation because I think profit has become a bit of a dirty word in business, but you need it especially at the small to medium business level. Um, I'm all I'm all for sort of like the huge corporations paying more tax than ever and, and all the rest of it, but small businesses are under a lot of pressure at the minute. Um, rightly so, that having to conform with sort of like high standards of health and safety and um, every employee should be offered living wage and all the benefits that that go with that and that sort of job security but for a small business it puts them under a lot of pressure especially if they're working on a very small margin so um so what was the margin on the product you picked oh god it was fantastic um so i i got on alibaba i discovered alibaba the website what um, year was this i'm gonna say 2005 no no, it won't, no, it can't be that early. No. Fairly early in, in Alibaba's. No, 2000 and... Probably about 2009. Yeah, so it'd be fairly early. Yeah. Um, I didn't know anybody else who was on Alibaba at all. Um, when I mentioned it to a couple of people, they looked at me with a very, very blank expression. Um, so, so for Alibaba, for people who don't know, do you want to just explain what it is? Yeah, well, it's, it's actually the biggest e-commerce website in the world, isn't it? Um, so I guess it kind of works like eBay. Uh, but you, it puts you in contact with uh, wholesalers effectively. Well, it used to just be like a contacts website. You couldn't buy directly through it, but now you can purchase through it. Um, and it puts you in contact with manufacturers and retailers all around the world. So you can buy pretty much anything you could imagine from anywhere. So um, I had to figure out how duty worked and importing a product. And they sent me some samples. So um, I'd, I'd seen a snippet of a company in America that was doing uh, like nylon braided cables on an over an iPhone cable. Looked amazing. Hadn't seen anything like it locally. Well, anywhere, even when I searched on the internet. There's like one brand that was doing it. I can't remember the name. Maybe like Charge Cord or something like that. So this is like a colored patterned yeah. effect on the on the charging cable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like a nylon braid. So um, it, it just made it look quite, quite different. Um, and then obviously we... We still do get the same problem with where um, the charger goes in. You you get like the weak spot where the cable will always like break and fray. So I got chatting to a couple of these suppliers on Alibaba back and forth and explained what I wanted. Just found some pictures of basically shoelaces that had funky patterns on. And was like, I want an iPhone cable that's going to look like this. Um, I think I'd seen the original thing in a magazine and couldn't get back to the image. So in no way was it my original idea. Uh, but I just knew that it was an American-based thing and I hadn't seen any in the UK. So, um, yeah, so these guys came back, sent some prototypes. Um, we played around with them, made some changes, went back to them. And we missed our timeline, well, my timeline of four weeks. I think it was about eight weeks. I think we had definitely had samples in within four weeks. Uh, but we, 
I think I got them in about seven, eight weeks uh, by the time they'd shipped and cleared customs and everything else. Built the Shopify website, opened up some social media accounts, and it went live. And to my amazement, the next day, I think I had about three orders. Um, in 24 hours, you had three orders? Yeah, yeah. Wow. So um, just from setting up social media accounts and basically following a load of people in, knowing nothing about how social media worked from a what, business What were you selling these cables for? Price, mm. £15. Um, and that was with free worldwide shipping. And by the time we'd cleared duty and got them in, we was paying something like a quid. So the market was almost criminally large. It was too large. That's a good one. <laughs> not, that, not that it can be too large, but um, it was an insane markup. Um, but I just figured if if I got stuck with them, I could always drop the price. And I just, I looked at eBay and there was a lot of sort of like cheap cables going for like five quid. And I thought, well, these, are, these look cooler than any of the five quid cables and I'm still paying a quid for them. So if I have to, I'll just lift them on there. But the stuff he was buying off eBay was, it was shot on a white background. It had no story. It had, it had no, it wasn't a lifestyle brand. So I guess part of what we was trying to create was a bit of a lifestyle brand as well. So um, I'd arranged a couple of show, photo shoots where we'd use, we, we literally used my bedroom at the time that I just had a nice laminate floor put down in this oak effect laminate floor. We got some cool plants in the background. Um, and I got um, a friend's, well, a girlfriend at the time's little sister to, do some like model kind of modeling but she was out of focus it was like you know those high def- definitive range photos where you're zooming in on the product and you sat there on your phone but phone's on charge um and a couple sat on the table next to your mac and they looked they look wicked um and this I, I couldn't believe it i was sat in my day job every day and coming into work this is just in the first few weeks and every day four or five orders four or five orders and i'm just going that's like 50 quid like profit by the time I've shipped it and everything worldwide. Um, so then I figured, I couldn't figure out how to grow the business. And I, I realized that we wasn't a local business. So by following people around Grimsby and Cleethorpes, I wasn't necessarily going to expand my customer reach the way it needed to go. Um, and that's where I heard the whisperings of like social media influencers. So I just basically started looking for people with a lot more followers than me. 50,000 40,000, 70,000, anything around there. Um, and just sent out a generic me- message to about 100 of them saying, do you want to be an ambassador? I think we used to do five, we did five colors. Um, and I'd say, well, I'll send you five iPhone cables that with a link to the website. They retail at 15 pound each. So these guys are receiving this email going, yeah, I want 75 quid's worth of free product. Absolutely, I'll, I'll do this for you. Uh, some people came back with some outrageous pricing, like, Oh, they wanted you to pay Some, them. Sometimes, yeah, yeah. To promote so, their... But I, I didn't have a budget for that. Wow. So people, what, did, what did they want? It depended on the followers. Um, it was funny actually. We mentioned Gary Vaynerchuk earlier, and I saw a podcast, uh, a little YouTube video with him the other week, saying that um, social media influencers are one of the one of the most undervalued things you can utilize at the minute. So some people are vastly overestimating the worth. I think I had one lady, one girl that was like a Swedish model or something that wanted like a lifestyle model and she want, she had like 100,000 followers but she wanted something like a thousand pounds for one post and you just you're just like nah, no no way um and again this this mirrors with what he was saying just a few weeks ago um but you can still find people out there there's obviously a value to to x amount of fo- followers um for that post but you're finding a lot of people undervalue themselves as well because they haven't yet figured out how it's going to settle in as a business and if you can find the people that are the right value or undervalued, 
then then that's great. Um, so how did you find the people I, that you reached I out I literally to? was just going through my own followers, really, thinking that if I'm the customer for this, then the people I'm following, and the, if I'm following this person, I'm the customer. So I'm guessing other, other ones of my customers are also going to follow this person. Um, and yeah, and basically we... Um, keep saying we, I, don't, I think it's because I'm so used to being in a, in a partnership nowadays, I keep saying we, but it was just me. Um, so we, I pushed out these, uh, these products and we got a lot of social media sort of influencers on board and yeah, things really started to get going. We was kind of doing 10, 20, 30, 30 sales a day. Um, and then something happened overnight that I hadn't even thought about, which was a technology blog picked us up in, I want to say in Iceland. I woke up one morning and had like something like 150 orders just all to Iceland. And I'm just going, why have 150 people in Iceland bought a cable? I've never, I think I've shipped one to Iceland before or something. I could not figure it out. And after about three hours of searching, somebody had picked up the product on a, on a tech blog and posted about it. So then started going after tech blogs and so on and so on um and around this time um i hadn't even realized that there was kind of like an in-place apple affiliates my own naivety for um hardware so it turns out that the cables were not um officially apple compatible so as soon as apple was going to do an update all of a sudden i got a flood of emails of people saying these Kate, the this is an unofficial product, so that was a that was a tough lesson. Um, well, so the cable didn't work. No, it carried on working, but you just got a warning every time you plugged it in. Ah, so um, which I felt very bad about at the time because I had no idea that was going to start happening. Um, but they'd done it. They'd obviously caught wind that a lot of people were doing these cable. Well, not my cables, but like vast hundreds of people just doing unofficial cables. So overnight, I quickly ordered a load of Android cables, which you don't have that issue with um and the manufacturer was like right we'll take back any stock they were really good actually we'll take back any stock you've got on hand we've got a new iphone cable that doesn't display this message and you're going really because it's like it's kind of not the it's kind of not the issue so i started exploring going down the um the official apple route and it was just going to be crazy i mean you was going to end up paying something like eight nine pound per product to apple to use official apple merchandise and that's why still to this day if you're getting an, an official apple product you're talking minimum sort of uh, like sort of approved it's like i can't think of the term they use um but it it's yeah it's a small fortune um, that sounds like apple they like to get their yeah their money's worth. And why not eh um so what i did i made a deal with the guys to ship over uh to swap out the cables we had that were faulty and literally just sent an email out to anybody that had one saying if if you have an issue we'll swap it. We've got enough margin in it. We knew we did. Um, we wasn't trying to be sort of like unfair to anybody. Um, and what was amazing was I think, I mean, we must have sent an email out to, I don't know, maybe we sold about 3,000 cables at this point, 3,500 cables at this point. Um, and we sent we sent an email out to everybody. And I think about four people said, yeah, we'll, we want one of the new cables. Four or five people. I was like, I couldn't believe it. Um, but that also made me realize that there's different types of businesses and different types of products. And it, it really rang true about what we was just saying earlier about quality products and how things have such a short shelf life. 
people actually didn't care. They were paying 10, 15 quid for a cable that they'd probably had in use for six months and it was still working. And they were just going to move on to another cable or another upgrade. And we were happy to honor them. We stopped, we stopped selling them. I'd just got enough that I could um, repeat the revenue. So do you, why did you stop then? If it was highly profitable and no one was really sending them back, um, why stop? I didn't, I didn't like it. It made me feel uncomfortable. Um, so we were, I was still selling the Android cables and leaning hev- heavily towards that, even though it was a lot smaller market than the Apple. Um, but for me, the only way to do it would have been to, to do it properly and go into um, go go down the proper route with Apple. Um, and I, I, I had a lot of other things going on at the time. So um, yeah, I'll touch on this. But um, at the, So all in the space of about six months, we decided that uh, my mum got diagnosed with terminal cancer. She's only 53. So being a family business, the mobility company, we'd, I'd for quite some time had felt almost tied into it and wanted to do something else for myself. Hence why I was always looking, sort of like stretching out and looking at these different opportunities. Um, and basically we just made the decision that they were going to hope, well, hopefully she was going to get better and they would, they'd always wanted to retire abroad. Um, so I guess we made the decision to sell the business um and then more or less at the same time she took a real bad turn so being a family business we was all heavily involved with the business and it meant that she required full-time care so my dad and her who who worked she worked about 30 hours a week in the business full-time 45 hours a week both just vanished out the business overnight and then because we decided to sell the business it was a bad time to recruit and it would have been unfair to a recruit because you don't know what the new owners are going to do um on top of that i managed to break my leg and rupture three ligaments in my foot in a skateboarding accident. <laughs> Drunken skateboarding oh accident. Sorry for laughing. But no, that's all right. It's all I didn't expect you to say that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, <coughs> literally running the business on one leg. Um, very understaffed. We quickly found a buyer. Um, and basically, just all this was going on. I say quickly. The whole thing probably took six months. Um, and I'd had this cable issue probably about a month before this had started. So I'm sat there looking at a book of paperwork from Apple saying, you've got to fill this in. The manufacturer I was dealing with wasn't an official uh, Apple manufacturer. So he would have had to go through the certifications, which he wanted me to pay for. And I was sat there just going, do you know what? I've got so much on my plate here. This is this is just going to be another one that I'm just going to have to let, let go out my grasp. Um, so yeah, so... Just shut down the website one night. Just decided that was it. I'd sold through nearly all the stock on the uh, the Android cables um, and just went, I need to just focus on trying to make my mum better, um, trying to keep, minimize the stress for them guys and make sure the business is running smoothly. And obviously, when you're looking to exit a business, workload only goes up because people want accounts preparing. Anything that's outstanding needs to be settled and, and put to bed, so got to bring all your order in up to scratch and full stock take and everything else that goes with it so that that was an interesting process as well and how long did that take so from someone being interested to signing the the paperwork um let's have a think so probably say three to six months and then i agreed to stay on for they wanted me to stay on for six months to transition them in and i negotiated that down to three months basically just said i'll I'll work through the night if you need me to. And 
kind of reassured them. I think after by that point, they'd spent some time with us, so they knew I wasn't going to just abandon them. And I kind of said, look, I'm not going anywhere. I'm I'm going to help take care of my mum, so I'm going to be in town. My phone's on. Just just call me. I'll, I'll talk you through stuff. Um, and they were, to be fair, I mean, they got a great business at a great price. Um, and I think part and parcel of that was they understood the situation that we needed to move quickly. So um, it worked It worked for both of us. And they're still going now. Um, they seem to be doing very well. So that's good. So after you sold that, how long was it till you got back into the into um, that business? So it, actually, the timing went quite badly, actually, really. Um, I think we completed 1st of September and it was the end of October when I lost my mum. So I literally had two months taking care of her, which which in a, in a way worked very well because at that point it needed two people. Um, she become completely immobile, so needed a lot of hands-on help. Um, and then, um, yeah, that completed. And where was we then? So October, wasn't going to rush into anything. Needed to be needed to be the the next one needed to be not just kind of like a hobby business it needed to be whatever was going to be the next thing um but obviously there's a lot going on like within my family and and everything we're losing my mom so um decided to take some time out and travel met Lindsay just before my mum had passed away um who's now my wife and mother to my son and she's getting ready to give birth to our next child as well don't know what it is yet um just just so we've we've got it on record i'm voting girl yeah my money's on girl you're saying girl yeah, yeah. Saying boy girl. girl we'll see we'll see i have n- absolutely no clue whatsoever <laughs> um we will we will see so when did you get into property so yeah it was a well i guess indirectly previous to that so again with with my dad's background in civil engineering he's always been interested in property so um He'd he'd purchased a couple of his restaurant buildings before he'd moved on into mobility, and he'd kept them as rental properties. Um, when you look at look backwards, it it sounds like a really eloquent plan of building a small portfolio, but actually, I'm sure you won't mind me saying a lot of it happened by accident. So he'd we'd bought the house that he lives in now in Humberston, um, or wanted to buy it, and he the property market was in an absolute in the pits pre boom. Um, and they lived in Grimsby and just couldn't sell the house. I couldn't give it away. Kept slashing the price, kept slashing the price, just wouldn't go. And eventually he managed to, um, to somehow being self-employed, leverage a mortgage and, and put it up for rental and buy a second property. And then obviously a couple of years later, the boom happened, which, which was made it a, a great move, which nobody could have foreseen. Um, on top of that, he had a couple of other places, so we was in a leasehold building with the mobility company, where it still is now. Um, and there was a period where the lease was potentially not going to get renewed because they were going to try and redevelop the site. So we chopped around and we found um, we found a commercial building on Saint Peter's Avenue that was derelict. It was the old Oxfam building. I won't say derelict, but it was close, um, right up on the top end. So um, this was all while I was working for him. So um, we we'd quite often have to go in and, well, he would have to go in and renovate the place. And as I was getting older, it was oddly a very seasonal business being in Gleithorpe. So um, we'd be really busy through the summer with people, I guess, are wanting to be more, more mobile and getting out and about. So, um, yeah, so I would spend a lot of time 
um, in the winter, just helping out, fixing places up, getting involved with trades. And it goes back to that sort of small business level of management where you're kind of just managing small teams and small projects. Um, I think any project, any business is very daunting when you take it one huge thing. When you start realizing what's actually involved, you almost have to be insane to to start. But if you just break it down into small <laughs> projects, what's directly in front of you, um, week long, two week, month, few people, you can make that work. Um, the complexity of docs at the minute is just it's just crazy. Um, if you'd have asked me a few years ago, all the different roles that we'd be doing, just I wouldn't believe we'd be able to fit them all in. But we don't go to work like that otherwise you'd have a nervous breakdown <laughs> you, you turn up in the morning you go right we need to do some graphic design content we need to do get some photos done we need to sort some and then maybe the next in the afternoon maybe it's like you've got to do some pr production scheduling um so it's just it's breaking everything down into little bits um and i think i'd, I'd through all the various experience that i've got become quite good at, at doing that um so yeah so I guess for myself, my first stab at that was after we'd sold the business, had a little bit of money, wasn't sure what, what I wanted to do. And we've always been told that properties are a safe bet. Um, so bought a house, renovated it, sold it. Um, as it just so happened, quite a few of my dad's places were in, in due some updating. So it just had one tenant going after, well, after another, so in the commercial properties just by chance um, and he was like well, if you're not doing anything these are time for a facelift so I'd overseen both of those um, and yeah was was just moving on moving on from there so uh, did a couple of different places uh, but I don't know I mean it, it was great I love property I love the development um, I think the Grimsby market is fair to say we've got one of the lower property prices um not in the area but for the country um so to do anything that's a bit special is a lot more difficult because there's a ceiling for what things will sell for so um the the things that were really interested in me were sort of like medium to high end nothing fancy just really nice functional family homes open plan living um Lindsay, my wife her brother lives in australia and we go out there quite regular. Um, you've been out, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah a few times. Where, yeah. Whereabouts does he live? He's in Adelaide, but we did Sydney. Yep. A lot of family in Adelaide. Yeah, yeah I thought so, yep. yeah. Um, but like you go out there and the, the properties are all sort of purpose-built for our lifestyles. So like British properties generally have been, loads of us live in houses that are 100 years old. They were designed for people that kind of, a couple would share a small wardrobe. Uh, it just doesn't exist anymore. People's third bedroom now becomes the wardrobe room. You go to Australia, you don't have to be in a posh house. Everybody more or less has a walk-in wardrobe because it's just, just one of the rooms in the house. Um, but it's mainly because most properties are new there and they've been they've been thought out that way. Um, obviously, it's a vast country as well, so square footage isn't exactly a, a yeah, problem. They, they've got the space. Yeah, um, and about a quarter of the population, I think probably less um so yeah i think going out there inspired me with different properties and different ideas and um i've become a bit of a pinterest addict um i know you can you can waste a lot of time there that's a uh, that's a rabbit warren yeah yeah exactly 
Um, so I just, I guess I was looking, I've always been sort of like a proactive kind of person. I can't sit still without a project, whether it be a work project or a personal project. So this kind of gave me the excuse. So um, you, the, you the type where if you're on holiday sat by a pool, you, you get itchy feet after about yeah. two hours and you've got to go and do something or write something down. Not even two Google hours. Google something. Not even two hours. Yeah, I can't, I can't do it. Um, yeah, I'm off exploring, hiking on a mission, meeting locals, chatting away, usually finding something to eat every two hours as well. So I like, I like my food. Good um, food. Yeah, so I'm not good at relaxing. It's hard. I think a lot of entrepreneurs, people in business can't switch off. Mm. Um, I know a, a book we both read, the Elon Musk uh, yeah. biography. Um, they talk a lot about how Musk is almost um, inept at not thinking critically about things and analyzing everything down to even his relationship with his wife or his girlfriend at mm. the time. Um, I don't think I'm that sort of level. I don't. No. Think, I don't think many people are, but... For me, being in business, you you can't help. Like you said earlier, you go on, you go go somewhere, and you look at someone else's business, and you try and figure out how they're doing it. Mm-hmm. Even though you should probably be enjoying your family time yeah, down definitely. in London, just doing the yeah. the day to day stuff. Yeah. Do you find that that is a constant thing in the back of your head? You're always thinking business, or oh, absolutely. I drive Lynn's absolutely crazy um, with it. She she knows I don't switch off, um, and sometimes I just catch she catches me while i'm driving she'll be looking at me and she'll be like you haven't listened to a word i've said what are you thinking about and i'll and i'll instantly just be honest and go and it'll sometimes be the most random thing ever like we drove past a garden center and i was just thinking what a great site that would be for <laughs> something something or whatever and yeah and and yeah uh, um i think one of the i think when you've got that kind of mindset it can work against you or work for you depending on how much you control it. And I think focus is probably the, the key thing. So if you're applying it to, to what's, whatever your goals are, then it works really well. And if not, it can become a distraction. It's very much a distraction because everything turns your head. So you're too busy worrying about what other people's businesses are doing. You're too busy thinking like, oh, why didn't I think of that? I could have done that. I could have done that and made it a little bit better because I can see how it would be a little bit better. Um, and that's dangerous because you spend a lot of time just looking at everything else rather than what you're, what you need to be dealing with. So how do you stop that? Um, do you have any habits, any routines that you work on to try and keep yourself focused? I'm, I'm a big list maker. Um, and I think one of the things I'm more focused on now is I like, I like to have a bit of a goals list. Um, like a, a yearly or a five yearly goals list. So is this a written written down kind yeah, of yeah. to-do um, list? I should just probably a... pin it up on a mirror or do something inspirational with it, but it's usually just scribbled in the back of a notepad. Um, and I'll occasionally just fall across it by accident and see how I'm doing. I think most people kind of know deep down where they want to be and the kind of things they want to do. Um, I think it's good to have massive goals. I know you're, you've read quite a few Grant Cardone books as well, and he's all about go as big as you could possibly imagine um and i think that's good you shouldn't limit yourself but also it's quite it can be quite disheartening if you regularly don't hit your targets because you've made your targets too big so i think a big thing for me is really just breaking stuff down into little jobs i can get done in that day tiny little baby steps that get me there 
constantly checking in with like the long-term project goal so um at the minute with docs i guess we're kind of looking at where do we all want to be in the business to be in say five years um and as the brand gets a lot stronger we're getting a lot of inbound inquiries we're getting a lot of people sort of pulling us in different directions people want us to be involved with different projects which is great um the risk is we get so busy doing what other people want us to do we completely lose the direction that we want to go in um and we start kind of just i don't know you lose you lose your way so i think we keep kind of if we're having debates where whether we take on a side project or or a different direction you kind of go does this get us where we want to be in five years in three years or whatever so do you have a three five year goal or kind of timeline laid out or is um, it quite vague and you, you kind of got a it's quite vague and it's been th- as you'll appreciate it's been thrown upside down a little bit by having a family so um I think more than ever, when once you have a family, um, it changes your values. It changes your values, but obviously it changes. You can't. Well, for me, I've I've made the decision that the business isn't the a hundred percent of everything, if you like. So, if you'd have asked me five years ago, I'd I'd be quite happy to just go. All I'm interested in is focusing on a business for the next ten years. But I don't want to do that with two young children or soon to have two young children so um for me it's finding that balance where the two can fit uh, side by side um and that's going to be different for absolutely everybody where they feel comfortable being with that um and you're shaped by your experiences so obviously being an only child tight-knit family losing the mom all these different things have taught me personally different things like the, sh- the fragility of life and things like that um and how you need to enjoy them uh, while you can um, yeah things can change very quickly yeah um, yeah they can yeah and business a lot of t- a lot of the time I'll, I'll put business first but when it comes to family it's yeah it does definitely change your outlook of course it does yeah um, I've got quite a, I always speak to young people in business yeah and it's quite interesting when you you say about children and they just look at you like yeah but why would that that wouldn't change and yeah, yeah. I, I remember being younger and speak yeah. to people about family I, was like, I don't get it so i think it's one of those things you kind of have yeah. to go through if you want to have kids obviously but it does change things i i've had i've had a steep learning curve of trying to balance yeah. the two it's not easy i'm um i think i apply this to nearly everything in my life though but i'm I'm always i always go for quality over quantity like in ev- everything and i i even apply that to family time so like i kind of don't see the point for me personally it didn't work for me and lens for me just to get home early four days a week to kind of just i don't know do chores together that's nice don't get me wrong but it's it's not like our relationship i guess so um i think what we're really good at that we've we've worked at to be fair we make time for it is actually having quality time together so rather than just spending x amount of hours per day together We'll maybe, if I've got a busy day or a busy week, we'll get up extra early. We'll try and beat the sunrise, if it's especially this time of year. We'll take Jacks with us and we'll go for like a sunrise walk down the beach. We're like, N-. apart from the uh, the sort of like, you've got to do the Instagram post of, of the sun coming <laughs> up. Other than that, we pretty much stay off our phones and yep. we, we just talk and it's really nice. Like It's kind of like, it's simple, but a sunrise, even in Cleethops, which I, I mean, I love Cleethops, especially on a crisp, clear day. It, it's a good way to start your day 
um, and it grounds you and it just brings you back to like the important things in life. I know it sounds it sounds odd, but I'd recommend it to anybody, especially anybody local listening. Get yourself, check the weather when it's a clear day. Get yourself down there for a sunrise walk with a flask of coffee and you, so there's no better way to start the day. But it's quality time. It's not quantity. It's just really taking some time actually to be with each other, be with the family. Um, and it might only be an hour, but I definitely feel like I've, I've filled my quota. Um, not, not that I've filled my quota. <laughs> I haven't had enough. It's not like, get me out of here. But I go to work feeling like, I feel like there's a good work-life balance. I can go to work comfortable knowing that there's a good work, work-life balance in place. Whereas I go through weeks, I still do now, where I might have spent more time with them. But when I'm there, I'm not there. My, my head's elsewhere. I'm getting emails in left, right and center that need replying to. And you can be around, but you're not really around. It's, there's no, there's no quality. It's one of my worst habits. I'll, yeah. I'll admit that. Yeah, same. Checking, checking email while you're with family or, yeah. or you, you know, something else comes in. Social media. I don't know. It can be one of the many things that you um. Sometimes it's you don't plan done. for, but yeah, that, I like the idea of the quantity versus quality with family time. I've never looked at it like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I mean, it's it's just one of the little little things that we play around with and try and make make work for us so do you have a typical day you mentioned getting up early what's the kind of normal routine for showers on a, on a work day right so this has changed a lot actually um with the with having children or with having children and with um after i shifted into property as well so the mobility company we never used to get started till half nine in the morning so i was very much used to lay-ins and i'm a i am a night person so I could happily start Scarface or Godfather at 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night and watch it all the way through to the end. No problem. Uh, was it like I got here at six and me and you both just had a coffee as soon as we got here. I'm fine with that. It's not going to keep me up. I'm, or it might, but I'm, I'm more of a night person. Um, and then when, when I started doing properties, I realized I needed to be on site for 7 a.m. And that wasn't really built into my... Uh, into me at 6am starts I'd never had to do it before um, I'd, I'd done a few don't get me wrong but it wasn't my day-to-day routine um, and I've Lynn's will laugh if she listens to this but um, she's the exact polar opposite so she could happily be asleep by half eight every night and up first thing so we have this opposite kind of attract magnetic effect on each other uh, but bit by bit my bedtimes have got earlier especially having children and my uh, my get ups have got earlier. I think it helps having something good to get up for. So, getting up for the sake of getting up is painful for me. I just I don't wake up naturally. I don't I don't want to get out of bed. I love my bed. Um, but if she just nudges me and goes, "Do you want to go for a walk down the beach?" I just go, "Yeah, yeah, I do." And then it's easy, um, just because there's something so much better. So yeah, so quite often I'd say a couple of times a week at least we start with a, a walk down the beach. And what's um, what sort of time is that? Um, so probably six half six. Uh, Jack usually gets up about so like quarter six, so that's usually our alarm clock. Um, he's a good sleeper, so I can't complain. Um, and it's a good way to start the day. And if not, we generally get up and like like I mentioned earlier, we both love our food, so um, we uh, breakfast down the seafront. Breakfast down the seafront, or get up and make food. So uh, make a real nice breakfast. And I don't know. I think. By the time you get to the end of your day, for us, tea can often be a bit of a, a bit of a chore. So one of you's inevitably running late. Jax is cranky because he wants to go to bed, 
and you're just flying around and you kind of you're both knackered you've been at work all day you're probably like your peak your stress and the lowest point of your patient's threshold as well so you're just trying to throw something together feels like you're just trying to sling it down sometimes and get yourself showered into bed so the morning's nice it's 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 uh, it's a good way to start um and then usually into work some sometime between eight and nine depending what um what needs doing because the the tap room doesn't open till later in the day no it's only open until so it's just just the brewing you've got to be there for yeah and just just general replying to emails and business uh, yeah i mean mike mike handles all the all the brewing um along with sid um and yeah so everything else is basically so do you have a before you get into the office do you have a task list of these are the things you need to get done or is it when you get in you just see what's there and you how how much are you firefighting versus planned actions good question um I'd say it's a balance I'm definitely trying to work on more, actually. Um, and it's probably something in the mid, probably like a 50-50 split um, without sitting on the fence too much. So usually, before I'm going home, I'll make a short list of the stuff that I never got done today that needs, that that has to be done, the, like, the essential stuff. Um, usually, I'll come in in the morning um, and do that. And sometimes that can be while I'm just pottering around in the house as well. Um, just keep adding to it through the night stuff I've forgotten to do or need to get done immediately um, and then I kind of have I attack that anything else that comes in and then usually I've got a couple of things floating around in the back on the back of that list that are kind of like if I get time I'll drop onto this drop onto that sort of the extra stuff and that's always changing because things are always shifting on the priority list so if you uh, if you have a hard day yeah how do you what do you normally do are you you kind of a uh... You need to come home and chill out, or or do you just kind of you can't stop thinking about that that issue or something? No, um, do you know what? It's it's something that I'm really comfortable with actually. Um, I don't know. I I think I take I'm biased, but I think I take hard days really good. So um, I always joke, and it doesn't matter how badly something goes wrong. I just kind of try and take a deep breath and go. It's character building. It's like my go-to little saying. It's character building. It's all good. Um, and I don't know where I heard this a few years ago, but decisions should never, or reactions should never be made so at the end of the night. Your brain's at its most tired point, uh, very worn out, and you're in bad decision-making sort of like situation. Um, and I'm also a, a big believer in you don't take bad blood to bed with you. That's what been raised in my family. So it don't matter what kind of argument you had with your parents as a kid, um, we'd always kind of like shake hands on it or have a cuddle and it'd be put to bed because your family at the end of the day. And I don't know. I think it's one of the things my parents did just to make me realize like you shouldn't harbor bad feeling with you. So even if it's been a stressful day, I kind of just breathe it out and just go, do you know what? I feel better about this in the morning. And you always feel better about something in the morning. And by the time the brain's had time to reset, you've usually come up with solutions or at least a solution to how you're going to handle it um and go from there yeah so um so yes stressful nights i usually let them go pretty 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 easily um i'm not quite the same (laughs) (laughs) if i have a stressful day it's uh i either need to solve the problem yeah uh, it will just drive me crazy if it's still still not solved i'm not saying it don't bug me i just keep trying to remind myself that it'll be okay in the morning it'll be all right yeah 
Who do you who do you speak to if you've got a an issue? Lindsay, I'd say. Yeah. Yeah, she's my sounding board. Which I guess puts um an additional strain on not strain, because it's never negatively affected the relationship, but um obviously I guess that's what's nice about being in a in a tight relationship where you effectively each other's best mates and you're also like each other's counselor as well. So and sounding board and I'm I'm biased, but she gives bloody good advice. Um, so uh, and I think one of the reasons is because the our partners know us the best. Yeah. Um, they're not really scared to hurt your feelings. Yeah. No, that's, um, if you they, know where she's brutal. Yeah. They, they kind of say what's on their mind. Yeah. They don't sugarcoat. Yeah. It's um, not and sometimes they're brutally honest. So yeah. they just tell you what you should hear rather than yeah. what people think you should hear. So yeah, I find Kirsty, my wife is, is also a very, very good sounding board. Yeah. Even if sometimes I don't agree with her. Yeah. No. And just help, help, help me get to a decision that, yeah. that I was looking for. Um, okay. So, uh, another question for you. So what do you wish that you were better at that you, you currently struggle Podcasts. with? Podcasts. <laughs> yeah, you've been good. Speaking. You're the perfect distance from the microphone. You, you, the training I gave you five minutes before we started is working. <laughs> yeah. But it's all about the quality, not the quantity. That's it. And, um, what do I wish I was better at? So, um, self-control and discipline would be good. Um, I'd love to make myself get out of the bed at like the rock at four in the morning and train for an hour before anybody else wakes up. And I'm pretty good at making my do myself do certain things. Um, I think, yeah, I think I think that's something I'd work on though. Like sort of being stricter with myself. Um, I I regularly lose that debate in my own head where it's like. Should I go to the gym tonight or should I go to yoga or should I go do something that I said I kind of wanted to go, but I've been tired and I still regularly lose that debate. Um, and I think the more variables you have going on in your life, the more likely it, it gives you more reason to give ex, give an excuse kind of thing. Yeah, um, there's, there's, there's an easier excuse yeah. when it's like, oh, well, I start the fam spending time with family is yeah. more important than going to the gym. Yeah. So I'll get out of that and one. Like, like yourself, I don't work a nine till five. So if, if, there's 10 hours of work they need to do in that day. Gets done 10 hours. On the run-up to the tap room being open, we were short-staffed. Me and Will were working 80-hour weeks. Um, there's, there's nobody else to do it. When when you own the business, there's nobody else to do it. So it's very easy to come out of them and go, well, it's the right decision. Need to spend some time with the family. But e even just, I'm too tired. So you can easily find these little exits for yourself. So um, I think being more disciplined with myself would be would be something I definitely want to work on. Um, and yeah, I think, I think, I think focus has become a really a word that I keep coming back to a lot at the minute. Um, and I think it's becoming more and more important to me in everything I'm doing. So it's like more about going back to where do I want to get with this? Where do I want to be with it? I don't just apply this to, to the business I'm in. Um, it, it's absolutely everything. So, um, are the things I'm doing today contributing to where I want to be in a few years, uh, the morning walks, the morning rituals, the, the spending time together and making breakfast and actually spending quality time, even if it is just an hour with Jack's in the morning, but actually spending proper quality time with him, playing with him or 
reading in my book, is that getting me to where I want our relationship to be with me and Linz and me and Jax in five years? I feel it is. Um, and then also pinpointing when things aren't contributing to that. So, yeah, your work might be really successful, but if it's damaging your, your work home life balance and that family balance, then that's not somewhere I want to be. So stop doing it <laughs> is, is what I'm yeah what I'm getting at. Um, which actually reminds me that I've not been to the gym this week and in five years time I don't want to be uh <laughs> I've not gone to the gym for five <laughs> years so um I need to I need to keep myself yeah it's an easy one to fall out of habit with I think I'm, I'm behind on mine um okay so 2019 yeah big year for you guys yeah um I mean I started the year New Year's Eve by getting married which we came to the wedding yeah, um, in the brewery. In the brewery, piss yeah. Up, piss little, up in a brewery. Yeah, we managed to organise it somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, said it couldn't be done, but it was. <laughs> no, you know what I mean. Um, so yeah, uh, another child on the way in May. So that's gonna uh, that's gonna flip our world upside down even more. Um, and then for docs, it's just the most exciting. It's just the most exciting year. Yeah, I'm really, really excited about that. I'm pumped up in a big way. So. Anything you can share? Yeah, I mean, I mean, generally speaking, what I'm so proud of what we've all achieved over the last. I think you've got to take take time out and always be proud of what you've done. Um, not in a sort of like, not in a blowing smoke up you up yourself kind of way. Just in a you've you've got to take check and just go, yeah, we've done good. Otherwise, you can never reap the benefits of that. Um, but it's exciting to see what we've achieved in such a short period of time. And knowing what we've managed to do with limited resources and the uncertainty of how it was going to work and whether it was going to work, because um, it was a gamble. I mean, any business, starting any new business is a gamble. Um, I think it's really just reinforced what we think we're capable of. Um, and now moving forward, we've got these great foundations because we've we took our time with the building. So we've built, we've built a, a solid building with, amazing kit we've taken our time not just to recruit staff that like just the first people that came through the door we've we've got people who are like family within the business and and really care about the business um and these guys are only just getting started i mean we only opened in october so and some of the guys are even newer to the team than that so and we're going to be we're going to be taking on more staff um so i think the big things for us are for, for 2019 are really to we're mainly selling through the tap room and to our existing retailers at the minute. We don't really deal with any major wholesalers. Um, we've just gone into Eastern Airways in January. So we're the only craft beer on 80 of their flights a day. Um, we're doing little bits with the co-op, but we're launching the cans properly with the co-op in um, in Easter. And I think our big thing for this year is, is to start nailing down those, uh, those big wholesalers. Um, there's, a, there's a great app called untapped it's a beer enthusiast app it's got about seven million users worldwide it's untapped without the e um and basically uh we're we're currently climbing our way up that as a uk brewery at the minute now um we're registered as a brewery but you only go live as a brewery on it you can find us and you can you can rate our beers it's really important to us our feedback on there and obviously we aim to get as high a rating as possible it's out of five stars um but what's been absolutely 
amazing for us. Uh, we're not we're not a registered brewery until we hit a thousand likes and five products. Um, so our new lager that we're launching next month um, is going to be our fifth product, and we're currently on about eight hundred and fifty likes. So we'll be going live as a as a UK brewery on Untapped, probably in about five or six weeks. With our current standing and our current feedback, we're we're currently sat at fifth position in the UK, and that's out of like probably fifteen hundred breweries that are registered on this website, and we're in fifth position right now. Um, so it's I'm just so excited to see what happens when that launches. I'm sure we're gonna have a flood of people who want to get in touch and come figure out who these people are that have come out of nowhere in the sort of the more national beer scene. We seem to be doing really well um, with how people know us locally. So like Hull, Lincoln, all around sort of the Grimsby, Cleethorpes area where we're based. Uh, but it'll be really interesting to see what sort of effect that has um, moving on and just hope that we can we can keep those keep them ratings nice and high. Um, so yeah, so I think that's going to make a big difference to us and it's, it's going to open up a lot of doors because it's it's an app that's used throughout the industry. Um, I mean, we'd, we'd always planned on producing fantastic beer uh, but we we'd never sat down and gone. Hey, we want to be a top ten brewery the year we open, um, and now to even be considered in that sort of category is just like this is amazing. So yeah, I think that's one of the, the exciting things in in that's happening imminently in the next couple of months. And I think it'll have an effect on what happens for the rest of the year as well. Yeah, I think w- I've noticed a big um, surge in review systems and yeah. people using them to promote. Or, or um, the opposite, yeah, <laughs> almost yeah, yeah, destroy yeah. businesses yeah. through reviews. But um, great if you can be getting customer reviews at that sort of level, thousand reviews, top yeah. ten would be amazing. It'd be insane. I mean, we've just hit three hundred likes on Facebook and um, three hundred reviews, and every one of them's been five out of five. Mm. So that's again blown and what are they rating you on just the beer or the service um a lot of it's on atmosphere and and customer appeal so um and how how are you getting these reviews are you asking people you're doing any we we haven't been Uh, this is this has all happened organically now now we're starting to like click on and go oh actually here's here's another thing that we probably should have been paying more attention to because the customers are paying more attention to it than we are um don't get me wrong we're aware of it we've set up the social media accounts and we've set up the TripAdvisor accounts and things like that um, or claim them and, and, and done what you do with them but um, it's not until you see how interactive people are and I think I think that really resembles actually how sometimes your ideas in business this is, what's, this is what always amazes me about a business have you, have you read Sapiens? No what's a- that? Amazing book um, I'm at, I've actually not finished it I need to on my to-do list to get back to it's a long read yeah, I think I think the summary of it is something like a brief history of the last three hundred million years of mankind, but um, it starts off saying like, kind of talking about what is self and what is consciousness and and things like that. And it talks about it uses Citroen, the car company, as an example about how um, you could Citroen has has the same rights as I mean I'm I'm sort of like pulling pieces out of the book now and people have read it probably listening thinking this guy's getting it all wrong but um Citroen like exists almost as a person exists you can sue Citroen Citroen can owe you money Citroen can go bankrupt but Citroen isn't a person but it but it has the rights of a person so we've it's all about belief systems and the the book sort of like 
drops in and out of different things but it's talking about belief systems and how the only reason citron can do these things is because we believe citron to have rights it's not a person anymore it's like an organization but what's amazing about that is if if you took away the board of directors from citron different board of directors would show up and citron would continue to exist it's an entity you've created a life form the same way that you bring a child into the world or it, it it's now got to a size where it moves on its own and i think that's what's amazing about sort of um when companies can cre- create a community that our business is developing in ways that actually as a small company you kind of got the joystick the joystick and you're directing it but once you go past a, per- a certain size things start happening on their own so people start reviewing your business and doing this and doing that and you start emerging in places that i never advertised there but people are talking you talking about you there in them forums and you no longer you might not attend a certain beer festival, but you're getting mentioned, or somebody else takes your beer there, um, and yeah, it, it's exciting to see how how it the business is kind of developing into into what it's developing into, and it's not. It, I mean, it's exactly what we wanted. I mean, we when we opened the tap room, we wanted it to be a home for anybody who just wanted to come into a to a friendly place and try some good beer. We didn't want it to be about um, whether you was in your high-vis workwear or whether you was in a suit or whether you was dressed up for a night out or whether you just come straight from the gym in your, in your sweats. We wanted all that to be irrelevant. It was just about coming to a nice environment and grabbing a beer. Dead simple. Um, and first, I'm dead happy that that's how it's panned out. You get such a diverse mix of people coming into the tap room. Um, and like I say, the... the I never expected the community to have grown beyond that. So, as I say, the the likes are just kind of like the tip of the iceberg. We've got people coming in regularly this week. It's kind of going a bit viral. Like it again, it's this whole thing where the brand's almost delivering on its on its own without us even guiding it. Where people have started to post, take cans with them, and take photos of them on holiday. Um, yeah, I saw that, and also you had um, merchandise done—the t-shirts, yeah. the beanies. Yeah, I've exactly. seen people taking yeah. pictures of those. Um, and this is purely by accident. So, so like, you didn't, you didn't. You we haven't. Like, Here, we haven't. Here's a free t-shirt. Go and no, no, no. So so far, <laughs> we haven't pushed any of this. Now we're loving the content so much. We're probably going to run some competitions moving forward. That's going to encourage it because it's great content for us. Yeah, and it's it's just fun to engage with your audience. Um, but it, it all started with like a couple of people taking them off on holiday. And others going, that's a wicked photo of a guy in a t-shirt and thinking we're going to repost that. And then a couple of days later, you got a guy coming in going, oh yeah, I want to I wanna grab a t-shirt and a few cans. I'm heading to wherever. Um, I'm heading to Australia next week. I want to take him with me and get some fo- photos out there similar to those. And you go, really? And then I've had other guys coming in going, I'm going skiing next week. I'm going to try and recreate the Australia photo there. And you go, oh wow. And then today we got tagged in a photo of some people in Antigua uh, with with some cans of beer, one of our uh, regulars, um, and it it seems to be setting up its own sort of competition. And th- and this is kind of what I was going a roundabout way of saying was how once you create a business and it gets past a certain size and it's and your customers are more of a community than just customers, um, it starts developing on its own. It almost becomes its own person. So like we haven't tried to create an international photo shoot but it's it's that's what the customers have that's what the communities wanted and the community's gone and gone and done it <laughs> and it's, it's a great way of um 
building a brand, a brand, <coughs> excuse me, building a brand. I mean, a lot of companies focus on the word brand, but don't really create anything around it. Mm. They're almost hollow. That. So they're like, you know, they look good. They look fancy, but no one's really talking about them. Yeah. I no one's that. really doing the stuff you've just said. Now in the business coaching world. So um, I have a business coach and he, yeah. he trains me on stuff. They call that the raving fan. So they've got this okay. ladder of customers and they've got, you know, the customer, they buy off you regularly and they come back and stuff. Okay, but yeah. the ones that yeah. go above and beyond to show that they really care about, yeah. you know, like you said, this company that doesn't really exist, yeah. it's there to make money, but yet they absolutely adore to the point where they will buy stuff to take on holiday, yeah. use a valuable team. luggage space, and then go and take a picture and post it. Yeah. So, I mean, and that's not to say that every business should work like that. I mean arguably one of the most successful companies in the world, somewhere like Amazon, they they probably have huge diehard fans. One of them I spend far too much money through Amazon Prime. Um, I love the functionality, but I'm not totally obsessed with where I get my pens from or my paper from or water wipes from mm. um, or anything else like that. Um, so that's more about being a good customer because it's a functional site. Uh, but on the flip side, like you say, you've got you've got brands that make you feel like you're but part Raven, of the community. Yeah, but Raven fans on the Amazon side, I think they show in a different way. Yeah. So true. they'll 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 recommend to other people. Yeah. Oh, yeah, just they buy that from Amazon. They engage. You know, I, when I signed up to Amazon Prime, yeah, I was telling people left, right, and center. Amazon have done this or they've done that, and and it wasn't so much posting selfies of Amazon box deliveries, which would yeah. be an odd thing to do. But I definitely told everyone under the sun. Um, I can't, kind of hate myself for doing it because I know Amazon's not the the nicest of companies and it's destroying yeah, some yeah, businesses. Yeah. But I mean, you can't fault them on customer service. Hey, it's unlocked potential for a lot of businesses. They as have well. done a yeah, yeah. There's definitely like, that. There's loads of small businesses that are selling through Amazon, and they wouldn't be in business if it wasn't for them. So yeah, I mean, it's a tricky one. There's always going to be two sides to, to any sort of debate. Yeah. Um, I think. I don't know if it's linked, but it, it, it takes my mind naturally over to back to that quality versus quantity thing we were talking about earlier. And I've been I've been saying this for quite a while now that um kind of just not an epiphany as such, but a few years ago I kind of was chatting to some friends about various things and talking about being a throwaway society. And I think it's really interesting how um people's buying habits I feel are changing a lot from I think we, we hit this boom to maybe 20 years ago, probably more my parents' generation, where suddenly it was, everybody always grows up wanting certain stuff. And then all of a sudden it become affordable, probably with a lot of Chinese manufacturing, that people could have a lot more stuff. They could have 50 kitchen gadgets that do everything from peel your spiraled courgette spaghettis through to like everything's got a motor and a battery and a plug and everything else like that. And it's all like this plastic disposable lasts two years and then it goes in the bin. Um, I remember our washing machine breaking down after two months out of warranty and the guy just going, yeah, just it's not it's not viable. The parts are too expensive for it now. Just get rid and you just buy a new one. And you just think it's kind of wasteful. But I've always had this kind of theory and this feeling that we're moving full circle and full shift. I think, you know what you're just saying about Amazon, like diehard Amazon people like reviewing products and 
I think a lot of people feel like that deep down. I think people do want quality over quantity. And I think our generation and the younger generations are starting to, uh, not every, not all of them, but I think there's a definite movement towards people that don't want to just buy loads of stuff. And they just want to buy the the best thing for the job, and the best thing that they need. And I think that shows itself with these communities that do huge amounts of reviews and how you just said earlier, our review sites are just going crazy because people people's like biggest commodity is time and you don't want to waste time buying time and money buying things or spending time in a cafe or a restaurant or eating food or drinking a drink that isn't the best value it goes back to value what we were talking about earlier that's like that doesn't tick that box for you between doing what you need it to do for you um yeah you could be right i think there's definitely something there i think i'm potentially rambling like a madman no, no, I think you, you might be onto something. You might be a genius and that might be the, the way things are moving. Because yeah. the biggest thing with reviews is <clears throat> you don't want to waste time. You don't want to waste money. Mm-hmm. So you're you're looking for that person who stepped off the cliff before you to check what they thought. Was that product, that you know coffee, for example, I will quite happily go on Google or TripAdvisor and make sure that the place I'm going to buy a coffee from is mm. actually good yeah, quality because yeah. you can't until you taste it you you've no idea yeah. they could have a great machine but they'd be terrible at using it yeah yeah um and that's one of the reasons i go to riverhead coffee all the time the best coffee big plug for riverhead coffee out there but um yeah, yeah they've got quality coffee and they even have a guarantee um that they put and i think it might be in the coffee shop somewhere i know right. i know the owners told me whereas if you have a coffee and it's not great then they will make another one for you. And if that's not great, they'll make another one for you. Yeah. And, so, and I've been in there and I think I was probably the first customer one day. The machine had just been turned on. It probably, you know, needed rinsing a couple of times, get the yeah. coffee flowing through it. The first three coffees I had were, were terrible. Absolutely. And then they got the machine like properly warmed up and made me a proper coffee. And it was great. Um, and I think that kind of quality of saying, right, well, it's, unless it's, to your standard or to a good enough standard, it's not right. And then going down the customer's preference, or at least the feedback is great. Because I know in Starbucks, they probably have something similar. But I I think by the third one, they may be like, come on, just take the coffee. It's all the same. And it's also, um, again, not slandering any uh, Starbucks or anything, but I think because you're not dealing with the person whose business it is, there's an element of... um, like you go places like Riverhead, people gen the, the the person in front of you is so invested in that business, and, and I'm not saying people who work at Starbucks aren't because a lot of people will be, um, but they actually really truly care about they want the coffee to be the best kind of thing. Um, I can't stand anybody coming to the tap room and drinking something they don't like to the point that I often often to swap it out for something if it's not because there's anything wrong with the beer, but if they've tried a different style, and that's why we often op- offer out little tasters say like if you're unsure just have a little taste first because we don't want you to sit there drinking something you're not you're not enjoying um and i think that's a really nice touch that riverhead are doing with the kind of um if it's not right come back tell us and we'd rather make you another one um it, re- it reminds me of something i had a long time ago and used to apply a lot in the mobility shop and that was um the best customer you can have through the door ever is a well the best thing you can have coming through the door ever is a complaint um, which sounds so counterintuitive, but I'm sure you've heard this. You're nodding. You've you've heard this yeah. before. Um, 
but we used to apply it there so 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 much and especially to that business it lent itself so well so you was dealing with um products that could the, the manufactured the electrical the mechanical that could would would event inevitably occasionally go wrong brand new mercedes can go wrong uh don't sue me mercedes <laughs> i'm sure you put it right on the warranty <laughs> um but um you you take that customer who's who's come in with a grievance, whether they're right or wrong, whether they've gone about it the right way or the wrong way, people just want to be heard and listened to. And you can either, and, and we used to find this a lot with new sales staff, like they'd almost become defensive or uninterested in what the customer was saying because, and it took a lot of sort of like conditioning and to, to get them into sort of like the work culture where actually a you want that customer to be happy because you value the custom uh but most Im- not most importantly but what's so crucial for the growth of the business is if you take that customer's complaint and listen to them make them feel listened to fix the problem that customer should be loyal to you for absolutely ever because they know they're getting looked after no shop in the world can guarantee them that their piece of kit isn't going to break down nobody can but what you've just guaranteed them is that when they have a problem you're going to put it right um and that's invaluable and it's the same with the riverhead thing so you you're not necessarily saying to people we can always nine out, 10 out of 10 times make the best coffee but we w- will make you the best coffee until you get the best coffee and if you don't let us know and we'll fix it opposed to places that just don't really care um so yeah i think there is a big difference and i and i think you're right it's the independents that usually go down that route because mm. they care more that's why it's such a growth thing, independent businesses. Yeah, yeah. I think who is, I think Gary Vee may have said this, that no one will ever care 10 out of 10 for your business as much as you do. Yeah. Um, so if you're the business owner working in the business yeah. or, or family member maybe, yeah. you're going to care to the point where it, you know, it matters a lot more yeah. if the customer's happy than if you're just an employee for a big multinational and you don't really see any of the benefits of, of working for them apart from the salary so we're going to kind of wrap this up now yeah. but what would you what would you say is one of the key things for a local business what do they need to focus on to help grow or or just survive in the marketplace at the minute um yeah i think i think we've i think we've already done this i think um i think value um and quality over quantity so um just offer people great value so wherever and and make your customer base like you were saying earlier let them climb that ladder um and encourage it listen to people with a genuinely listen to people two ears one mouth firmly shut and listen to what people are saying to you and take it on board um because these are your customers and you need them um and without them, you don't have a business. But I think, yeah, off, I think when you're starting out, I think offer value. I think that's the most important thing. Um, we're we're an expensive, premium beer. There's craft beer is expensive. It's dearer than Carling. It's it's dearer than any other sort of like off the shelf beers that you can buy. It's very cheap, comparable to gins and high end wines and things like that. It's very cheap, considering especially what goes into them. Um, but when you wrap in everything that we do, I feel like it represents amazing value. 
um, when you look at the the raw ingredients that goes into our products over a generic lager, um, there's there's just ten times the value there. There really is. Um, and again, and, and we try and deliver that message to people, um, and explain that through our social media and our marketing and our branding and things like that. Um, I think yeah, I think if you're a local business, yeah, just just keep focusing on that. And the rest kind of falls into place. And once people see you doing it, the networking and stuff, it takes care of itself. You can go to all the networking dues in the world. If you've not got a product that people can connect to or people recognize as having value or quality, people aren't going to be that interested. And you're going to be bashing down their door for them to do anything with you. Whereas get the product right, build the strong foundations, um, and you only need to go to a couple of those networking dues a year because everybody will immediately recognize that and you'll get all the contacts you need overnight. That's a good good bit of advice. Yeah. So lastly, before we uh, we before we finish, yep. um, you're a big reader, like yep. myself. Um, recommended a few books to each other. What's the book you're reading at the minute? You reading anything, um, anything good? So, between trying to get Sapiens finished, um, I'm having a little dabble with Gary Vaynerchuk's book. So like you said, mentioned earlier, I've watched quite a few of his YouTube videos and things. Which book is that? Uh, crushing it okay um more audio book at the minute so yep. i use my 25 minute commute to work either way just to fact i'm setting traffic just to get an, gets me more or less an hour of reading in a day so it's better than nothing it adds up pretty quick it's a good way to do it yeah, yeah. i listen to them when i'm traveling quite a long yeah distance yeah um and yeah i've got i've got a couple queued so i've just finished uh ant middleton's book um he's the guy at the sas survival of the fittest um, is that about business? It's about leadership. It, it goes into okay. leadership quite a lot. Um, and what I found really astonishing um, was how much he's screwed up in his life <laughs> um, in the a, in a, in a nicest way possible. He's, uh, he's, he was very honest about how uh, he did, hit some real hard times, made some really bad mistakes, some really bad judgment calls that left him in very bad positions. And you don't see any of that when you see him on TV. You just see a guy who's special forces. So that's that's impressive. And then he's made a huge TV career out of it. And now he's going out around just, just killing it all over the world, doing different projects. Um, and actually you look back and the, the guy's had a tough childhood, a tough this, a tough that. I won't give away the book for people, but um, yeah, he's had, he's had some real bad crossroads in his life where he's taken the wrong, the wrong turn. Um, it sounds like an interesting book. I know yeah. it's the second time someone's recommended that to me, so yeah, I think it'll be uh, it'll be on my Amazon Prime list. Yeah, it's different to anything um, I usually read. I think that's good. It take, makes you look at things from a different perspective. Fab. Well, thanks, Shaz. Cheers, Liam. Good to talk to you as always. Yeah. Um, if anyone wants to check out Doc's beers, where can they find out a bit more about you? So um, we're active across all our social media platforms. Um, you all know what they are. Um, www dot can't even get that out yeah dot <laughs> com, um, and we've yeah we've got a news page on there so that's letting you know upcoming events and you can sign up for the newsletter which uh, will pause a lot into every month so we get so good content going into that newsletter yeah that's great lovely thank you very much all right cheers mate.